Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello. Oh, hi. How are you today? Well, I'm good. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you so much for asking. I'm just excited to be here, Kristen, here <laughs> at the top of season six, episode two. What a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Before we get started, uh, just a handful of announcements and reminders to run down. First and foremost, with regard to the chronology of our ongoing series, we have a live taping of the next episode of Buffering, of season yeah. six, episode three, Afterlife. That's going to be this Saturday, October 24th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Tickets are available now at bit.ly slash Buffy Afterlife, or you can head to our calendar of events at bufferingthevampireslayer.com and click events. It's awfully close to Halloween is all I'll say about what we might be wearing to the taping. Uh, it'll be a very fun live event. Uh, we did a, a live event like this. We did like a streaming live taping a while back and it was super, super, super fun. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun time. We had a lot of fun on the first live stream taping. And I have to say that like the energy around these parts is pretty wacky. So I'm going to just go ahead and guess that we're going to have a damn good time. Uh, and the fun of seeing us live is that, you know, we could do or say things that were like heavens and we take out of the main episode. But you live viewer, <laughs> you will get to witness the entire show. <laughs> the full Monty, the full yes. Jenny and Kristen. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> um, book ending our live taping of Afterlife, we have our second anti-racism reading and discussion group. The first is literally tomorrow, October 22nd. Uh, Mickey Kendall's Hood Feminism is the book that Mac has chosen for us to go through. And the way we're structuring the reading and discussion groups this time is that uh, tomorrow will be Mac talking to us and us doing a Q&A with Mac. So it's going to be really, really fun. Mac, if you haven't listened to Mac speak already, you really should get on uh, that train, boat, ship, bus, whatever. Uh, she's a space rocket. Yeah, she's really, really incredible. And this is important, important work um, that we're all doing together here as a community. Thursday, October 29th. Both of these, by the way, are 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, so next Thursday, we'll be gathering again and this time doing small breakout groups. So we'll be in groups of, you know, six to 10 people at most uh, and just getting to really talk about some of the things that the book brings up um, and the ways that that intersects with like our lives and also the way that it intersects with a little show you may have heard of called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, you can learn more and register for one or both of those sessions at bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash just keep fighting. And now... Oh boy. It's really just your jam for this season. Is that sexy music? It's time for the Sexual Tension Award results. They would all consider it sexy music if they could have seen the dance you did while you were doing it. Nobody needs to see that. Another reason to come to our live taping this Saturday. Yeah. Well, you get you get to witness firsthand my shoulder shimmy. My shoulder work is is noted. Mm -hmm. It's uh, legendary. (laughs) So 
Sexual Tension Awards for Bargaining Part 1. You're welcome in advance. Wow, with a very sad 3% of the vote in fourth <laughs> place. It's two tan coats, one small area of cubic feet. Giles and Xander, 3%, fourth place. Really harsh. Okay. Then, you know, given our listenership, I thought this would have landed maybe a little bit higher up because it has, I think, uh, two things that a lot of our listeners really like. Mm -hmm. Giles and spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Somehow, third place, only a mere 12% of the vote. It was a hard split. It was, you know, there was a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Okay. So then in second place, we have... With 26% of the vote, Xander, Xander Harris, and the Backstreet Boys, including Nick Carter, and also probably including Nick Lachey. Yes, they were both, uh, I think they were both understood in the Backstreet when Boys. When you said they're both in the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, 100%. <laughs> uh, and sweeping first place with 59% of the vote, it's two... Uh, it's a banger and a mash, or two bangers, one mash. It's Spike and Giles. How wow! Let's get out of here quick. Yes, congratulations, farewell. Spike and Giles. We will send your bangers and your mash in the mail. And moving right along, I just want to tell you a couple of things about products in our store. Uh, in case you missed it, we have the Sleepaway Witch Camp design on a pullover sweatshirt now in the U.S. and the U.K. stores, which is pretty exciting. Uh, our CDs are in stock, but hey, now also the signed CDs are in stock. You might even get an errant cat or dog hair with yours. You know, they've been in both yes. of our homes, loved and signed by us and our pets. <laughs> Frank stepped on at least one CD, yeah, so Gus, look out for that. Gus knocked over every single tower of CDs that I made. So they, cool. they've, they've been loved. There's also our new design by A. Andrews, the Burn It Down t-shirt, um, which I think really speaks to how many of us are feeling. We're going to talk about that in a second. And I want to alert you that for Halloween, we are releasing a special new design from Izzy Rotman. You know Isabella from Smash the Demon Lizard Patriarchy and her brilliant fucking tarot deck. If you don't know it, you you need to. Um, So, you know, we've been working with Izzy on a couple of projects. One is going to be released on Halloween. Hooray. Yeah. So, you know, follow our socials because that's how we will tell you about it. Buffering cast um, across all Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And uh, just a reminder, friendly little reminder that our $10 patrons get 20% off merchandise all the time, every day. And they also get advance announcements on things that go up in the store. So if it's like a hot ticket item, they get first grabs at it. Uh, Anyway. Onwards and upwards, Jenny. Oh, you can find the store at bufferingthevampireslayer.com and, you know, just click on shop. You know how to find these things. Come on. You don't need my help anymore. And now it appears we've reached the portion of the shared intro Google Doc uh, that is titled Osiris's Phallus. Yeah, don't I read ahead. I want to read it to you. <laughs> okay. So on the day that we got 500,012 emails about the Backstreet Boys and... Um, our our just atrocious Nick error of 2020. I also got an email entitled Osiris's Phallus that made me laugh so fucking hard. Like it was already such a fun and funny and insane day. It was all it was all such a fun and funny and ridiculous day that this just really tipped the scales for me. 
Here's a tidbit for you from Lauren. I hope this email finds you well and that the subject line was enough to grab you, Lauren, it was. Your mention of Osiris in the previous episode was enough to awaken the deeply buried 10-year-old within me that was absolutely obsessed with Egyptian mythology. Forget horse girl, I was a jackal-headed god girl. I don't know if you were aware... (laughs) But a few more details about the Osiris myth. After Set murdered Osiris, dismembered his body into 14 pieces, and scattered them across Egypt, Isis did manage to find most of the body. You can probably see where this is going. However, oh no! (laughs) There was one part of the body that was forever lost. His penis, which was swallowed by either a fish or a crocodile, depending on what version (gasps) of the myth you are reading. I'm going to continue, Jenny. Oh, dear. Jenny is is agog. Not one to be discouraged. However, Isis created a replacement phallus for Osiris. Oh, hell yeah. Queer culture steps in. (laughs) Potentially out of either wood or wax, which allowed them to have sex and for Isis to be able to conceive their son, Horus. My question to you, do you think Willow and Tara would have had a wooden dildo to go with their crystal one? Hell yeah. Well, I mean, no, because Al... Splinters. Yeah, you gotta Ugh. really at least shellac that sucker if you're gonna. Because the risks are too great. Yeah, but um, amazing, amazing information about Osiris. I mean, love to hear a crocodile swallowing a phallus replaced with a dildo. Greek myth. You know what I mean? Just as hot as they uh, come. Truly. Yeah, that's so great. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't thank me. Thank Lauren. I, oh, sorry, that was directed at Lauren, but also you, the <laughs> thank, messenger. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so we're about to roll into the episode. I want to just say that we've gotten a few other emails from you this week about going in to vote. Uh, today is October 21st, 2020, and I have voted. Uh, I voted early. Jenny, have you voted? I have voted. We have voted. Uh, we have voted not only in sexual tension award nominations, but in our United States election here. And we've gotten a lot of emails from you all saying just like really very heartfelt and wonderful things about playing Prophecy Girl as you drive to, you know, go and, and cast your early votes. And some of you are listening to the podcast just for the first time and are hitting the episode that we posted the day after the election four years ago and have written in and and being like, whoa, this is like very bizarre to listen to right now. I think, you know, Mm. we're in a spot where we are having a lot of feelings. This is a really hard time. And because we were, I mean, I feel like, Jenny, we were like born in the uh, the uh, in the election of 2016 you know like we had done a handful of episodes and it -hmm. really shaped a community here and has continued to shape and inform the work that we do and so we just wanted to like give a little space for that and to to let you know that we are here and and we really acknowledge um, the many different emotional spaces that many of you are sitting in right now and uh, just to let you know you know that we're like reaching our little hands across the divide and squeezing yours yeah and whatever happens, we'll still be here to say things, very stupid things into your ears <laughs> uh, every other week, uh, gently mm-hmm. and with compassion. Mm-hmm. And we love you. And Frank loves you. Sam and Gus would like you to know that they feel mostly love and sometimes ambivalence towards you. But, you know. Sure, sure. Nothing if not consistent. Um, and you're right. 
we will be here. We'll be here on November 4th as our next episode. So we're going to keep on squeezing your hands. We're going to keep on doing the work. Um, and I think that we all know that um, no matter what happens over the next couple of weeks, we have a lot of fucking work to do. No matter what happens, the work is going to continue. Um, and we're here and committed to that. Um, and also just want to thank you all for the work that you continue to do and for the sort of inspiration and energy that you bring to us in that work and in that mm -hmm. community and connection. And also to give a really special thank you to um, Mac and Alba specifically, who came on at a time when we wanted to take the work to new and different places and have just been such a wonderful presence in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to that end, I guess we could roll on over to, uh, you know, a Slayer digging herself out of her own grave. That seems on theme. It's about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we really love you. <laughs> Let's do it. Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one by one, spoiler free. I am undisputed number one champion knowledge king about Nick Lachey, a member of 98 Degrees and former spouse of Jessica Simpson. I've known it all along. He is brunette. He actually kind of has like a general, if he was somebody on Buffy, he would be Angel. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. Uh, I am Kristen Russo. The internet disagrees with you. We've had a lot of people positing that Nick Lachey is actually much more akin to a Riley. Uh, I am incredibly huh. well-versed, very much new all the time, still know, new in the 90s, and know now that Nick Carter is a member of the Backstreet Boys, brother to Aaron Carter. Uh, would never, ever get them confused, would we, Jenny? Not Ever. Now that you mention it, Nick Lachey is kind of Angel's hair stitched onto Riley's face. Yeah. Which is, which sort of like, you know, begs the question, did we mess up Nick Lachey and Nick Carter? Or did you want to posit that Xander's choice would actually be Nick Lachey, given his resemblance to Riley oh, and Angel? Yep, yep. You know? You think Nick Lachey has got a lot of crescent wrenches yeah. laying around, <laughs> just waiting to be borrowed? Man, it's season six, and we can't even get through a goddamn intro over here. This week, hey, we're going to finish this doubleheader episode with season six, episode two, Bargaining Part Two. You should stay tuned at the end of this podcast every other week for an original song written by Jenny, recapping the Buffy episode that we are discussing. Bargaining Part 2 was written by David Fury, directed by David Grossman, and originally aired on Dave-tober 2nd, 2001. Because all the Davids. October 2nd. God, Kristen's staring at me like she's never heard me do really horrific wordplay before. Uh, this is the one where, according to IMDb, as the Hellions continue to ravage Sunnydale... Buffy claws her way out of her own grave and must come to the aid of her friends. God, if that's not, if that doesn't sum it up. 
Buffy has to, let me just read that again. Buffy claws her way <laughs> out of her own grave and must come to the aid of her friends. That's where we're at. Kids, uh, season six. Here we are. Hey, I'm wondering if they produced this previously on after the fact for like when the show was in syndication because this aired back to back with part one. Uh, you know what? Uh, you did, Jenny. And I actually, for the first time in this season, watched season six, episode two on the DVDs. And what I found is that there is no season six, episode two on the DVDs. I actually had to fast forward through one long episode. There is no break. So there's oh. no way that there was previously on in real time because uh, this just <laughs> aired straight up like one just giant movie of an episode um and i didn't even see the previously on because i watched the dvds was there anything good in there no it's just like you know this that the other buffy's dead buffy's back <laughs> osiris the urn etc bikers whatnot i love really jumping ahead here but uh maybe love is the wrong word but i did think it was a, a notable character choice that xander refers to the urn of osiris as the urn of cirrhosis uh given the fact that cirrhosis is a disease of the liver um often affects alcoholics uh and we know that xander has parents who are uh alcoholics Oh, yeah. And also, wasn't his liver impacted by his um, uh, paranormal syphilis infection? Oh, my God. You're right. Man, Xander, the liver of the Scoobies. Everybody says he's the heart. <laughs> <laughs> liver alone. Sorry, I had to do it. Wow. Sorry. Anyway, um, the Hellions have gotten... Uh, I mean, their first, like, the first line that we hear is them saying to uh the buffy bot i'll service you girl toy um ew. yeah ew, 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 yeah ew. i don't know that we're gonna say all the things that they say in this episode because it's pretty fucking gross and you know not that this show hasn't uh touched on themes of like sexual assault but i think that they're going a little hard on this uh here episode in a way that we haven't this seen is the or first heard thing. this is some this is some upn9 shit well it's upn9 where i grew up i don't know UPN, <laughs> i know it's different UPN numbers, 9 depending too, yeah. on where you're from <laughs> but uh upn had slightly different like i feel like the show gets racy like the the language in the show gets more uh entendre-y or mm -hmm. just more like overtly sexual yeah or but in whatever. like an aggressively bad way like in an aggressively uh, in, violent in this way. instance it's yeah bad yes uh yes w what i remember from my last watch of season six was is that like just in general whether it's like bad stuff like this or like mm -hmm. sexy time stuff yeah yeah you know, it was interesting 11. talking to latoya last week about sort of angel being on the wb and like angel the show trying to establish itself and then thinking about that because you know i mean i think about things in terms of like you know who's faith going to make out with how many buttons are going to pop off it's not as common mm -hmm, for me to mm -hmm, think about mm -hmm. where the show was in the in the sort of like in the canon of television right now and and what it was thinking about and was it thinking like uh okay we did we've done five seasons who are we appealing to we're on a different network we need to be more adult we need to like appeal to more adult themes like all of these things that were happening behind the scenes. I wonder, too, if it's just, like, the network, like, the suits, the censors, whoever was in charge of, like, saying, like, <laughs> oh, you're going to need to edit this. If, if it was just kind of a different vibe at UPN. They were like, cool, Dad. You only see him every other weekend. But he's like, drink all the soda you want. So, and also, I just, like, the suits and the censors is really good. Suits and the censors. Um, so... 
something that occurred to me at the top of this episode, Jenny, and I'm sure that we've said some version of this before, but the fact that, right, season six, episode one, Buffy is not alive and Willow is sort of the leader of the group, and we hear that. But in this episode, Willow is not okay at all. Uh, she is passed out and can't really walk. And Xander takes over. And, you know, I mean, there's a couple of things, and I'm sure we'll talk about them, but overall, I feel like all three of these core Scoobies, because I, I would consider Buffy, Xander, and Willow like the core three, they sure. they are all leaders in their own right. Like, they are all characters who, if the shit hits the fan, they're able to say, like, okay, you do this, you do that, you go here, whatever. They don't hesitate. Mm -hmm. And we see that from Xander in this first scene. Um, and I think in this episode, um, Xander is, uh, he he brings up a lot of good points. <laughs> Right now, it's not so much a point that Xander brings to the table. It's um, just that he is very much like he's very like reassuring, but in a very like forceful way. Forceful makes it seem negative, but it's like Tara is really struggling with the fact that Willow is not OK. And the roles were reversed when they were doing the spell. It was Tara who was like, she's fine, Xander, like let her be. But now that Willow is passed out and the spell has gone wrong, or so we think, Xander's the one that's sort of saying to Tara, like, listen, we have to split up and I know you want to be with Willow, but I can carry her. So I need to carry her and I'm going to take her. Right. And and I think yeah. that like, you know, patriarchy aside, Xander is stronger and can carry Willow and Willow needs somebody to carry her. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when you look back after you've uh, trekked across your burning town under siege from a motorcycle club uh, comprised mostly of demons with a few human members, you look back and you see one set of footprints and you say, <laughs> Xander, you abandoned me. And Xander says, no, that's when I carried you. Wow. And then he takes two pennies. <laughs> he takes two pennies. Hooray. Uh, oh. Well, um, while Jenny continues her stand-up routine. <laughs> what the hell? That's good. I didn't even know where you were going, and I was just, like, patiently waiting for the joke. I was like, hey, where are we going? Mm. Um, <laughs> it was great. A great ride had by all. Uh, they decide, again, effectively... Uh, to leave the Buffy bot. They can't save the Buffy bot. They know this. You know, leaving behind the Buffy bot, of course, is not as simple as just leaving behind a robot. And the way that they utilize the Buffy bot to show us the Scoobies, like, moving on, needing to move past the death of Buffy, needing to let go of Buffy are, are throughout this episode. And this is the first time in, in this uh, part two where we see it, where they're saying leave Buffy bot behind. But what they really mean is we didn't bring her back to life. We have to let her go. Yeah. No. But don't worry, because six feet under the ground, two tiny little fists are about to start tip-tip-tapping on <laughs> heaven's door. Tip-tip-tapping uh, <laughs> on heaven's door. <laughs> yeah. It's more like yeah. claw-claw-clawing at yeah. heaven's door. This is rough. Uh, Yeah, it is. It's hard to watch and it goes on. A lot of things happen in between the various cuts of Buffy. Uh, first open-handedly, then uh, like tapping on mm -hmm. the coffin and then like clawing the fabric and then eventually punching a hole uh, and then getting dirt rained on her, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, not to get too like morbid too quick, but we are in an episode where Buffy literally digs herself out of her own coffin. So I feel it is connected. Um, but this, the first thing that I was thinking about when she was digging herself out of her own grave was, 
if you are a person who wants to get buried and you are going to be in a coffin, would you consider perhaps asking you to be buried with a tool or two? Because what if you come back to life and you find yourself in this predicament? Wouldn't it have been nice if Buffy had been buried with, you know, like a hammer or a shovel or, you know, any, any, anything to help her get out of the coffin? Well, you know, I think that would have been helpful for Buffy, but I have bad news for regular mortals. Mm. I did a little research, and this is actually something that's been myth-busted by myth-busters, <laughs> uh, largely, I think, inspired by uh, Kill Bill Part 2, which features a very similar scene and also came out like three years after this oh, episode of Buffy aired. little copy little copy and donut uh, little plagiarism you know you know Keep to your own Tarantino's notes. uh <laughs> influences notoriously include Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh that scene was the first thing I thought of when I was watching this and I was interested to see that it that it uh came out after this ep consider uh, you know a few years later uh and I think probably a few more people saw Kill Bill Part 2 than uh, Buffy Bargaining uh, Part 2. Yeah. And a lot of those people wrote into Mythbusters and asked, could a person punch their way through a coffin and then like dig up through the dirt? Okay, so this is what Mythbusters found. Are you ready? Oh my God. How did they, how did they bust this myth? Did they put somebody underground in a coffin? Check it out. Based on tests with a martial arts expert, the build team determined that the greatest force at which a person in a coffin could punch is about 1,450 newtons. Okay. Grant, who I guess is a mythbuster, <laughs> built a robot that could generate that force with, <gasps> with a three-inch punch. And it was placed inside a plain pine coffin. After 600 punches, the robot had created a crack in the lid, but had not punched a hole in it. The team then placed six feet of dirt on top of the coffin. <gasps> and again, the robot only split the lid and could not create a hole. To test what would happen if a hole could be made, the build team built an acrylic coffin outfitted with a trapdoor and a sliding panel to let dirt in. First, Tori, assumably another Mythbuster, entered the coffin and two feet of dirt were placed on him. He was able to dig himself out. When Grant repeated this experiment with six feet of dirt, the dirt entered the coffin so fast and filled it so completely, there was no way that anyone could escape. Based on these results, the myth was declared busted. Hell, I want you to know um, that if you were listening to Jenny describe that and you started to get like short of breath and a little dizzy, I am with you. I got like the claustrophobia that I got here in this little closet that I sit in while you described that was actually very real. Um, I literally mm. would never be a part of this experiment. Um, I can barely sit in this tiny closet right now above ground without getting panicky. But um, I will say that we know that the Slayer has Slayer strength. So what I would like to, I would like to call back the Mythbusters, please. Uh, if we could have the Mythbusters, please call us. Um, we would like to have the uh -huh. robot have Slayer strength and see what's possible yeah. there. Because that, you know, vampires are digging themselves out of their own graves often and they have super strength and Buffy has super strength. So, you know, uh, a case could be made is all I'll say. Uh, to our mathematicians out there, um, you heard the Newtonian force that uh, the punch was given. Perhaps you can whip up a little uh, equation for us on if Buffy has super uh -huh. strength. We'll call it. We'll call it. What do you think? How many times a human strength does Buffy have? Ten? 
Yeah, somewhere between five and ten. She's like punching people across the room sometimes. Depends what season you're in, you know? Yeah, so write into us, uh, bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. Make your subject. This is not about the Backstreet Boys. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely write in if you have some math here for us. Um, So I didn't watch the entire director's cut, but I did watch a little bit here and there. Uh, It was uh, Marty Knoxon and one of the Daves, um, Greenwald. Maybe Fury. I don't know. Which which Dave? Mm. One of the Daves. Um, And Marty were talking and they commented on how uh, Allison Hannigan is just like this champion crier. And that she, I think like the quote that Marty Knoxon said was something like, she'll be at like the craft services, like talking about a Butterfinger and sticking gummy bears in her ears. And then she all of a sudden is like upset and like sobbing her fucking face off. Um, (laughs) We get a lot of, we get a lot of Willow um, crying in this episode. And it starts here where, Oh, God, this is awful. This is awful. She's waiting on us, on me. Like, this this vision that Willow uh... has of having left. I mean, she's not wrong, as it turns out. Uh, she is waiting on some fucking body to help her um, out of the ground. But for Willow, um, you know, she wants to go back and Xander has to tell her that the urn broke. Remind her that the urn broke and... She says it's all for... It was all for nothing. Mm. Buffy's really gone. Mm. The one way uh, in this group you could be sure that Buffy's about to come back is how many times people say that Buffy's really gone in this episode. <laughs> That's the actual magic spell. It's like, it's like a, um, what is it? Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. Oh God, I won't say it right. a third time. Uh, <laughs> this this uh, front of my iPad is far too reflective for me to say that a third time. But um, yeah, they just have to say Buffy's gone, Buffy's gone, Buffy's gone. And then ba-bam, Buffy's not gone. So Anya and Tara, so cozy in this episode, you know, just really oh, having yeah. some gal pal time. Uh, wow. Yeah. Hiding behind a rock. Um, one on- of my one of my favorite forms of foreplay, hiding behind a boulder together. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Tara says like. Takes me right back to high school. <laughs> Tara says, we should, we should stay off the main roads and take alleys if we can. To which I say, Tara, <laughs> all you have is alleys. Well, Sunnydale is literally made of only alleys, so you're probably good. Um... <laughs> I noticed while I was watching uh, the two Hellions who are hunting for Tara and Anya that the Hellions have more or less the same ears as Frank. They're just <laughs> positioned slightly different on their heads, but I was definitely like, there's my stupid dog. Look at him go. <laughs> the, the it's Hellions, a motorcycle club. The Hellions are like, I mean, obviously, like, they've destroyed the Urn of Osiris incidentally and later will, like, dismember the Buffy bot. And they're, like, very violent. And we see that. But they also, like, have these like, weird other characteristics written to them. Like, for example, the line that the one says to the other, these, like, tough motorcycle <laughs> dudes is, like, You've got a bug up your crack, which just like doesn't have the oomph that you'd think the motorcycle guy would have. No. And later, um, in a scene, there's a scene where two of the Hellions are like riding it, they're chasing after either the Buffy bot or I think it might be actual Buffy. And they it's cra- actual Buffy. They crash into each other and they fall off their fucking bikes and they like leave room for both of them to be like, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> like they both apologize yeah. to each other. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, maybe Teamwork there's hope makes for the, the dream work. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen. 
Uh, the, these uh, these same Hellions that are looking for Terra and Anya happen to casually mention that they're going to go hit up some stores, and Anya's like, oh no, not the stores. <laughs> Anya! Anya's priorities shift in a millisecond. Yeah, she was like, oh no, we might die. Wait, bigger concern. They may take some things from the magic box um, or destroy the magic box. And I just got it, you know? She's like, I literally have only had the magic box for a half of one second. Giles is probably still on the plane. <laughs> so then we go to the Summer's house where Spike and Dawn are. Dawn is like fully me when there's a tornado warning and it's like, stay away from the windows. Like she's just like, like pressing her eyeballs <laughs> against the glass. <laughs> Maybe I can see it. Um, Spike's uh, stressed out to see these Hellions. He clearly is familiar with them. He's looking for weapons, but he's just like burning his hand on crosses and shit. Because there are no weapons. There are only holy water and crosses for some reason. Right. And they sort of piece together that uh, I think Spike uses his previous knowledge of the Hellions to be like, they only go to places that they know are vulnerable, which they, I mean, there's a lot of like piecing together in this double part premiere. Um, um, but they piece the together. The whole first half of this second installment is like everybody playing catch up. Right, right. Like, so they're like, they know, they know, they must know. Word must have finally gotten out that Buffy is actually a robot. Buffy is dead. And that's why the Hellions are here. Dawn wants to stay at home. Spike wants to run. I kind of am with Dawn on this. Like, I just feel like probably staying put was the safer choice since Spike is there. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It seems particularly the safe choice because the Hellions are destroying literally every house on the block except the house that they're in. And if they're passing that one over for some reason, maybe there's some fucking lamb's blood over the front door yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. In the classic. Other preventative measures mm-hmm. may, may have been taken. <laughs> um, but, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just go to the basement. Probably. Go to the basement. You'll be safe down there. Safe enough. So, okay. Buffy is digging again, um, and she, in this scene, gets free. She's she's clawed her way through the dirt. Um, Marty Knox makes a joke about how, like, of course she's crawled her way out through the dirt because there's one leaf in her hair. Uh, <laughs> but I actually, you know, on the flip side, as a viewer, I actually thought that they did a pretty good job here. I mean, obviously you would look a hell of a lot worse if you just crawled through six feet of dirt. But I like what they've done with um, Sarah Michelle Gellar's hair or, you know, what what wig they've chosen for her. That Like, it, it notably shows growth it's like not you know it's not styled in any way it's it's sort of just like a lot of hair (laughs) interesting how her hair grew while she was dead but her fingernails did not oh god thank god that they did not make the choice to be realistic in that instance i'm upset um yeah this hand the single hand uh looking like a tree sprouting up from the grave yeah i mean how else would you do it? But I feel like it's worth just mentioning that you get that exact same shot uh, in Kill Bill Part 2 as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's interesting that it's exact. I mean, you know, the hand coming up, yes, but the exactness of Yeah, the... I mean, they z- in Kill Bill, they zoom in from kind of like far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once they get to about the same framing, it's just like, boosh. I would love to like just see a sit down chat between Uma and Sarah, you know, like what was it like for you to crawl out of your own grave? What was it like for mm. you? You know, what was it like to, for you to be a woman in Hollywood? You know, just like str- like drawing some lines, making some connections. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Patriarchy! 
Sarah Michelle Gellar, uh, an Emmy, an Emmy, many Emmys for Sarah Michelle Gellar. We're getting facial expressions from her that we've never gotten before on the heels of the finale of season five where we got facial expressions we've never gotten from her before. And it's Mm. quite incredible. Um, Her face when she surfaces and really throughout this whole episode, um, her she looks like a scared puppy truly like she's just so confused and so terrified and Mm -hmm. she has so many it's like obviously the trauma of digging herself out of her own grave is enough but she also in this episode experiences first this where she has the trauma of turning around and reading her own headstone Um, and then later which we'll talk about when we get there she also experiences the trauma of seeing herself dismembered by a hellion group literally in real time so um this is fucked up we told you we warned you we told you to put your arms up at the peak of the roller coaster last god, episode yes. oh god um, also I, uh, can i ask a few questions about funeral buffy yes why is she dressed in this fucking thing in these shoes why why we are to believe that no one knew that she died in her family uh, her like blood family, apart from Dawn. Yeah, how'd they get this done? Right, really. What, right? Did they did they pay off a funeral director to to do this? Demon funeral director, probably. De- okay, so but I'll give them that. But what I'm really most upset about is. If we're to follow the through line of this narrative, it was uh, Giles, Spike, Willow, Anya, Tara, Dawn. These are the people who said we would like to have a, a tiny funeral, a tiny service to say goodbye to our friend, sister, slayer, etc. They chose a black dress that's all frumpy and also these like weird little kitten heels. We've never seen those shoes ever, ever. Why wouldn't they put her in a fucking... I'm upset. Kristen. What? Her funeral outfit is too hot from the ankles down and too frumpy from the ankles up. (laughs) I just feel like she doesn't look like the fucking Slayer and I know why. Like I know that... I know that like from a costuming perspective, when you're creating the show and you want it to be very staggering that she is risen from the grave and it has to be very different from like where we were when we last saw her in season five. Like I understand that. I understand. So you don't have to tell me the answer because I know it. But from like an in-universe perspective, I just do not buy that they would not have put her in a slay her slayer fucking best, you know? Hmm. That's all. I thank you for letting me rant, you know, like Sometimes a girl just needs to shout. Yep. 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 Okay. So after she makes her way out of her grave, she takes a little stroll through downtown Sunnydale and sees that everything is on fire and demons are running around on motorcycles. Yeah. Fine. (laughs) Anya and Terry get to the magic box first. And Tara is very, you know, stressed out that Willow is not there yet. Anya is immediately relieved that her beautiful store is intact. (laughs) Then once that's out of the way, she's terrified for Xander. Mm -hmm. I mean, also something that I want to say before we dive into the magic box scene is also that in that scene where Buffy is wandering through Sunnydale on fire... We get a very clear Buffy vision shot. Um, I think that they've happened before that moment, but it's it's really obvious that we're all looking through her eyes and that her eyes aren't completely focused, having been just repopped into the, their sockets. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the side effects of having yeah. eyes uh, revivified. 
revivified? Shh. <laughs> uh, I would like to give a shout out to Anya's beautiful green velvet jacket. I would like to touch it the way that Tara will soon touch Anya's hair. It's very romantic. I'm just gonna say it. Um, she's like, oh no, what if Willow doesn't find her way back? <laughs> We'll have to carry on together alone here, sharing and running our the magic box. Together. Together. Magic box, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that you all heard that over me, but I heard it through my own <laughs> self. So I think that they probably heard your magic box joke. Listen, um, <laughs> I just want to, in my own defense, say that I just double checked and looked up vivify, and the definition is enliven or animate. So when I said revivify. Um, revivification, whatever the hell I said. Uh, I, damn it, refuse you scoffing at my word choice. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I always assume that if we are in a debate about what a word means, you are correct. So that's fair. Oh, thank you. Uh, something that I want to say about this scene that I really liked was that Tara and Anya have the apart from, you know, the romantic uh, hair stroking was mm. that Tara and Anya uh, have this exchange where Tara says to sort of calm Anya down. If something happened to Willow, I would know. Right. And that's rooted, we think, in, oh, well, Tara is a witch and Willow's a witch. So like they would be able to sense that. But then she continues and finishes that sentence um, and she says, so would you. Um, and I just thought that was really like a powerful thing. I don't think that it's rooted in, you know, Anya being an ex-demon. I think she's trying to say, like, we love our people so deeply that we would know if something happened to them. And it wasn't rooted in witchcraft at all. Um, so I thought that that was really nice. And something has happened to their people, but it's not death. They're just doing donuts in the woods, following a blimp in the sky instead of <laughs> a star. Uh, Do you think it was really a blimp, or did Xander just want to correct something to feel a little bit better? Mm, about very himself? possible. <laughs> like, also, what's... how do you even identify blimps? Don't get high up enough to no. look like the size of a plane. Okay. I, I don't think that they do. And also, like a Sunnydale blimp, what's it blimping around about? Uh, Goodyear tires, baby. <laughs> I guess they sell Goodyear tires everywhere, uh, even in Sunnydale. Willow is like, oh, but look over there. What is that glowing thing? And it is a Tinkerbell that Tara has sent to Willow using magic. I've gotten really interested now in like looking up a lot of these spells and, and who they're referencing, you know. And I'll say that this is pretty surface research. So I would really love to hear from those of you who are more versed in um, Wicca and in the history of witchcraft. But I looked up uh, Aradia. Aradia, I believe, is how Tara pronounces it. I don't know if that is the correct pronunciation. Um, and I, I sort of like really did fall down this rabbit hole. I'm so sorry, Anya, for saying rabbit hole so many times. But um, <laughs> I... I learned that uh, Aradia, or Aradia, however we say it, um, was the principal figure in a book uh, written by ch this guy, Charles Godfrey. Uh, sorry, Charles Godfrey Leland. He was a folklorist. Uh, this book was written in 1899. He believed it to be a genuine religious text that was used by a group of pagan witches in Tuscany. Um, and so Aradia is, is a main character portrayed as a messiah sent to earth in order to teach the oppressed peasants how to perform witchcraft 
witchcraft to use against the Roman Catholic Church uh, and the upper classes. So that I was like, well, that's interesting. But then I found out that this book, uh, Aradia, the Gospel of the Witches, became one of the primary sources for neo-paganism half a century later. So I'm just saying, like, I, I all I did was, like, peek at a couple of the little folded over pages in this book. And I would love, some of you are probably listening to this, you're furious with me because you already know the story and I probably fucked up three quarters of it. But I just want to know more about Aradia. I just want to know a little bit more. So if you want to tell me more, write in. So when Tara calls on Aradia to make her little Tinkerbell, Kristen, picture Kristen in her living room, like just furiously flipping through digital pages of Wiccan history. (laughs) Uh, Having freshly watched the Wendy Vacani episode of oh my god vendy wickany what an episode of television if you don't watch <laughs> pen 15 you don't know what i'm talking about or what jenny's talking about but vendy wickany really called me the fuck out on who i was in middle school mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. okay moving right along Jenny, something that you uh, you talked about the North Star and the blimp and the airplane, and um, we've talked about yes. Tinkerbell, but another really important part of the scene, and this goes back to what I was referencing at the top of the episode, um, is Xander in this scene with Willow saying, and this isn't the first time he said it, why didn't you tell us? Like, a fucking snake came out of your fucking mouth. Like, that was not your average everyday spell, and you didn't prepare us at all. Why? What did we do over there? Yeah, I mean, I get where he's coming from, but also I feel like everyone is like, you all did a spell to bring someone back from Fair. the dead and Fair. you are shocked at the at the fact that like the immediate consequences were like a little more dramatic than a regular spell. Yeah, I will I will give you that point, but I I do think that like if you're going to have three people in a circle with you and you know that like possibly you will be tested by being like cut or by throwing up a snake, or anything mm. like it, she only told Tara like that's what we learned and she didn't even tell Tara much but she was just like I will be tested she didn't even tell Anya and Xander that she would be tested at all yeah they could have accidentally dropped their candle you know what I mean like you gotta prepare these people I get the sense that um Willow was not entirely sure if whether or not this this casting would be beyond her and that she didn't want anybody to come up with any reasons for why she shouldn't do it yeah so Buffy is uh, continuing to walk around through the streets. She leans on a car, sets off a car alarm on a good day. That's very upsetting. And on a bad day, when your ears were just underground for five months, um, it's even worse. A guy comes out of the house with a shotgun. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because it literally, the town is burning around him and there are scary motorcycle demons everywhere, but... But also Buffy is very noticeably not a large motorcycle dude. You know, like it is like, I mean, I guess it's just supposed to be that he's in such a panic that he he doesn't he's not even looking. He's just like, I hear my car alarm and you're not getting in this house. I'm protecting it. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, hey, props to this guy for not underestimating uh, a tiny blonde woman. <laughs> True. Good point. Um, Hi, I would like to play a jingle for this moment where Spike walks out into the middle of the goddamn road in his fucking duster leather coat and at full clip knocks this fucking hellion off of his moving motorcycle. It is hot. Spike, I love you. Spike, so dreamy. Spike, you trench coat. Bye. 
in for what I can only imagine is our massive motorcycle enthusiast listenership. Mm -hmm. Um, If a motorcycle was separated from its rider and then skidded across some asphalt uh, in this fashion, would it then, do you think, like, what are the chances that it would still be in drivable shape? I'm just wondering. It seems like... I think he took you a know. risk, you know? I think he took a risk mm. and it worked out for him in the end. I thought the same thing, but I think I think he knew. I think he knew this could go one of two ways. Um, and luckily it went the way that he wanted it to, because then we get to hear him say, let's fly, pigeon. What a line. I love that even in these circumstances, he made sure to source a helmet for Don. For Don. It's very cute. It's very cute. We also saw this moment of uh, Spike and Don on the back with the little fucking football helmet or whatever the hell it is on her head in the credits um, that I was like, that's interesting that it's in the credits because it doesn't happen until the second episode. Uh, I realize now the error of my ways, of course, uh, it was given to you all in one helping. Yes, yes. It was also really nice to, before they before they made the run for the motorcycle. It was great to see Spike watching uh, the Hellions like ride their motorcycles across like somebody's porch and like breaking <laughs> windows and stuff. And he just like gets this like really like wistful <laughs> gleam in his eye. Like he's like, wow, that could be us. But I made a promise to a dead girl. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Spike. Uh, so Anya, bringing the comedy, always, literally always here to give us a slight chuckle or a, a giant laugh. Uh, the, the knock at the door, she responds, already been looted, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that um, Xander, like, waits a long time to identify himself. Yeah. He was, you know why? He knows... <laughs> He knows uh, his girlfriend, his fiance. He knows she needed time yeah, yeah, yeah. to get her punchline in. Then he's like, it's yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Very thoughtful. Very thoughtful. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Scooby Squad is mostly assembled, but Don and Spike are not answering the phone. Um, and... Anya makes an incredible point. Yes. When it is suggested that they head back out into the fray. Giles is gone. Spike is missing. Willow is looking pretty worse for the wear. Mm-hmm. And Buffy is, they think, dead. Uh, so w- with what firepower exactly should they be re-entering the fray? One wonders. 
Yeah, I wrote that exact thing, Jenny Anya, making great points. Uh, And like Xander kind of quips back at her to make her feel a bit stupid. And I'm like, dude, seriously, like she is making all the sense. What how are you going to fight? It's it's not smart that they go back out. Um, You know, it it all works out at the end. Like it's kind (laughs) of but but it's it's not good that they go back out. Um, I don't think. And. The other thing that I want to talk about in this <laughs> scene uh, is that Xander has this moment where he's like, blickety blah, NORAD, blickety blah, DEFCON 1. And everybody looks at him and they're confused. Um, and he makes this comment about how he needs some more guy friends, which womp womp, patriarchy, jingle, clap, thunder, blah, blah, blah. But he then says, all right, I didn't I did really like this guy at work. <laughs> He seems pretty great. His name's Tito. And I'm just like, I would like to see it. I would like to see just a tiny little spinoff, a little mini up of uh, Xander and Tito, you know, like figuring out how to be how to be pals. That's all. Yes. Tito and the Zand. It's got a zippy little theme tune. Tito and the Zand. They're both wrapping up their day at the construction site. And then they each have circuitous ways that they take. Uh, to a shared apartment where there are roommates and there are hijinks along the way, like a dog chases Tito and Xander is walking by a fire hydrant and the, like the cap pops off and he's like, oh no, I got all wet. And then they finally arrive home, crack a couple of beers, sit down on the couch together and watch an episode of TV. Tito and the Zand. Beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know why you subscribe to this podcast, but I subscribe for live uh, written fanfic by Jenny Owen Youngs. <laughs> I'm here with a pitch, you know? Do you know that? I'm going to regret saying this, but do you know that the U.S. has never been in DEFCON 1? What does it mean? Um, it's the level of readiness. Uh, it's like there's a DEFCON 1 through 5, I believe. Uh, it's level of readiness for the U.S. armed forces. Um, I believe in the Cuban Missile Crisis, we got to DEFCON 2. Um, DEFCON 1 is the basically the most the most ready we can be for uh, attack, defense, wow. whatever you want to call it. Uh, well, just keep knocking on that wood. Um, I know. I like wrote it in my notes and then was like, maybe you don't want to say that. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> so, so the Hellions are like our new home. <laughs> and then one of them breathes fire, which is they do like circus stuff. Yeah. Actually, you know who breathes fire like this all the time is, you know, warrior princess. <laughs> Xena did it first. Um, then they all jump up and they're like, hip, hip, hooray, like with their arms in the air and shit. They really lose a lot of cred for me in this scene where, <laughs> while they're celebrating Sunnydale being their new home. It just seems a little tonally off. I didn't want to risk interrupting any of your Hellion impersonations, but um, I am wondering, uh, I've never seen Xena, Warrior Princess, and so... <gasps> I I know, big reveal here, um, buffering vampire slayer. But I, I'm wondering what you mean when you say Xena does this all the time. Is does she does she do this trick? She's like, yeah, like like probably five times in season one alone. She's always like in a bar being underestimated. Then she'll take a big swig of alcohol, pull a torch off the wall, no. and fucking spit fire what? into people's faces. And for the first like. 
I think for the first three or four this. seasons, Lucy Lawless was doing the stunt herself. And then <gasps> after a certain point, they were like, okay, we really need to start having Shut a stunty stand in for you. Door. Yeah, that's right. Lucy Lawless also, there's a recent an episode I saw recently where she is in a like a, a sort of like dungeon and she's hogtied and a sea of rats pour in. To where she's being held and she, because she's in a warrior princess, fights them all off with her mouth. And there are like multiple times where she like has a rat in her mouth and she's shaking them and they are like real dead rats. And Lucy Lawless really had them in her mouth because she is very serious. I don't know how I feel right now. I'm like exactly down the middle repulsed and turned on. It's like a very weird feeling. I know. Also, Dana Scully, Gillian Anderson eats a bug on the X-Files, so... There's that, too. Uh, there's a lot out there to have your day really brought to a screeching wow. halt. Wow. We started with women digging themselves out of graves, and now we've got women fucking chewing on rats and eating bugs. Oh, and a yes. day's work here at Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Woo! Yes. Uh, um, okay. So bad news for Buffy Bot. Yeah. Um, when you you know when you move to a housewarming there's always a housewarming when you move to a new place and the only suitable housewarming for these demons is uh quartering the buffy bot and hey i went to medieval times a handful of times as a kid and there was a special section where you could pay like a dollar to go through and it was just full of like torture devices what um yeah yeah, there was like the rack and like, you know, that like spiky cage and wow. and all of, all of that kind of business. Fun um, I was like really fixated on that when I was a child mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I learned about um, maybe adjacently or maybe in the walkthrough there with all the little informational plaques. So quartering, which was part of the capital punishment, visited upon uh, treasoners, treasonous, treasoners who committed treason uh in england (laughs) starting around 1283 it was performed much like what we see here except with horses instead of Mm. motorcycles how much horsepower does a motorcycle have i'm gonna leave that for our listenership please write in at buffering the vampire slayer at gmail.com let us know how much horsepower a motorcycle has thank you I thought um, it was quite interesting, actually. I wouldn't have thought of this if it wasn't for our conversation on Osiris in last episode. But I thought it was quite interesting that Osiris was the um, god called upon to resurrect Buffy and that we learned that uh, Osiris himself was dismembered um, and that we see the Buffy bot dismembered. Um, I'm sure it was. I I, I doubt that it was intentional, but I just thought like I was thinking about you, Jenny, making your joke about like find yourself a girl who will like find all the parts of you, put them back together and resurrect you. Yeah. um, and so I just I thought it was interesting. By that motto. The real devastation. I mean, whatever. There's devastation. It's season six. Pick a direction and look in it. There'll be devastation. But um, this is awful because, as I mentioned earlier, Buffy herself is looking at the Buffy bot. Buffy bot is looking at Buffy the moment that this happens. And so, I mean, what the, and the- fuck? And the worst thing, I think, is that she yells Buffy, but you can't hear it at all. Right. But, like, it's very clear that by the motion of her mouth that she's calling to Buffy. Oh. Ugh. Really? Not okay. Buffy runs like I would or any of us would, I'm sure, facing a similar sure. situation. Uh, this is where the bikers are very polite. I'm so sorry that I knocked you off your bike, sir. <laughs> pardon uh, me. Pardon, pardon me. Pardon me. Yes, quite. <laughs> 
Um, and then we get to this sort of like alley scene. This is where this, this is where the fight between the Hellions and the Scoobies is going to happen. Um, and Tara making, you know, a point, this is a very like Kristen Russo kind of a point. Um, maybe, maybe it didn't work because it wasn't supposed to. Maybe we should consider that it wasn't supposed to work. Well, maybe you're right, Tara. Maybe you're not, but in walks Buffy. Bum, bum, bum. Was that dramatic enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was definitely the music cue. Uh, I think could be put right in the show. It would add up. Um, bad sign that Tara says maybe the fates, you know, mm-hmm. sent this destruction to like prevent this, and Willow interprets that as so. This is my fault. Mm-hmm. Not. Yeah, Willow is. Um, Willow's really going through something. We'll just say that. Also, before Buff, right before Buffy drops down, Anya is like arguing with Xander, like <laughs> maybe now is a great time to announce our engagement because everyone seems like they could really use a, a pick me up, especially Willow. Oh my god, Anya! Like bless her. This joke of like, I mean, she literally in the next moment where like Buffy is fully traumatized, cannot talk, and they're like, "What do we do?" Anya's like, "Buffy, I have something to tell you. Something great yeah, has incredible happened." Incredible news. Oh, so, um, yeah, they realize in this moment because they sort of like call to her. She runs away and she doesn't even like run away. She just like runs up against the wall, which is really um, yeah, very upsetting to see. Uh, she she like doesn't. Oh, God. She just like she doesn't know what to do with herself. She doesn't know like how to escape this. And they realize in this moment that of course the spell did work and that perhaps before even doing the spell they should have considered digging the coffin up because if it had yeah. worked what was their plan if it had worked anyway you know like i think they were just expecting her to like rematerialize in front of them with them right yeah. right 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 also everyone for some reason is like yeah kind of yell talking like thinking that she can't hear them which which I is feel like is a bad tactic, but it is true. Uh, well, sort of, but it's like like I know she's like getting her senses back to their full capacity, but like yeah, I just yelling is not the answer. In general, this is a very rough transition for Buffy, who would have had a very rough transition anyway. Um, but she sort of is like dig du- she's dig dugged herself out of her grave directly into a hellion fight with her town on fire and her friends uh in all sorts of disarray and they you know say you're home now we brought you back um it's not the last time we will hear people saying that buffy is home now and then of course the hellions are like Party town. Tara does a fireball thing, and Razor just seems like very high. His reaction is just like, "Ugh, <laughs> yeah, yeah." They're like, you know, um, p- per Anya's uh, last email, they probably should not have left because they really are not working with a lot of firepower, even with Buffy now alive, because Buffy has no idea where the fuck she is. Xander is, you know, posturing. I, I happen to be a very powerful man, which myself, and we get a little yes. like comedy, uh, which is nice. Also, did you did you check out Anya, who last episode and sh- told everybody that they didn't know anything about zombies, using her own yeah. mis misknowledge to try to scare Razor? She's yep. like, ah, uh, yep. This Slayer might want to eat some brains here. <laughs> yep, 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 and then. 
you know, Willow's like, I got magic. And Razor's like, what are you going to do? Pull a rabbit out of a hat. And Anya <laughs> is horrified. <laughs> Why would she do that? Why would you do that? <laughs> oh, God. You hear us. We laugh, you know, because we must. Because if we don't, what else will there be? We shall cry. Um, this is, I'm not even gonna, like, I'm not gonna discuss the thing that the Hellion says to them here, but this is Ugh. really, really upsetting, um, and sort of, like, ties into that first line where we're like, okay, so we've moved to the UPN, but also what else is going on in this, uh, season right now? Because it's just feeling, um, that the, what the Hellions say to them about what they're going to do to them is something that, like, I feel we have not really ever heard in um, so direct a way in this entire show so far. Oh, um, no. I don't know I, if I've ever heard anything so heinous on, like, a network show. It's pretty fucking bad, and I would like to uh, not have it. I would like for it to be gone. So thank you. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Buffy does something really cool. Uh, I don't know if there's a name for this move, but she catches the Hellion's fist in her palm mm, and pushes it yes. back. Hot. Love that move. Hell yeah. Yeah, she kicks the crap out of this guy. And then there's a moment where everyone's like, so we knocked Razor down. Does that mean the fight is over? It is not. Uh, <laughs> Scoobies and Motorcycle Club clash cool jackets everybody i wish i could be in a motorcycle club for the cool jackets but without <laughs> responsibilities or um having to ride a motorcycle mm. that would be great so you just want to buy somebody a jacket please start a no motorcycle motorcycle club <laughs> that i can join thank you uh the no motorcycle motorcycle club which of course in our clubhouse we uh prominently display large uh photographs of clothed Clothed nudes. Clothed nudes exclusively decorate the No Motorcycle Motorcycle Club clubhouse. I'm telling you what, I would like to have a No Motorcycle Motorcycle Club jacket now that you've done all that yammering about, Jenny Owen Young. Yammering about? Positive yammering. I'm reclaiming hmm. the word yammering. I'm making it positive. Okay. <laughs> okay so um, Dawn finds the Buffy bot. Dawn, I love you. Uh, Dawn, you're perfect. <laughs> Dawn, I was trying to remember the Cordelia lyrics, uh, mm, but uh-huh. it, Dawn, I really fucking love Dawn. And this girl has been through so fucking much already. Now she's like down with the Buffy bot. And you know what? Like, probably a lot of people would have thought that like, OK, the Buffy bot has been like dismembered and probably is just speaking nonsense. Dawn like knows enough about the Buffy bot, I posit, that she fucking understands what the fuck she is saying and puts it all yes. together in her little Dawn head. Yes, totally. Also, the Buffy bot says Dawn a bunch of times here, which I thought was interesting because mm. when April the robot was powering mm. down for the last time. The last thing she said was, it's always darkest before. I got full body chills. I'm sorry. I had to pause. Just mm. pause and let the chills wash over me. Um, sure. Yeah. My, You're my sister, Dawn. And then, you know, this the way that they write uh, the Buffy Bot's lines, uh, I just think is really powerful. Like she's saying, where did I go? I was here. But then I ran <sighs> away. Not me, the other Buffy. Like, where did I go? Because at first, it, it is a misdirect. Because when you first hear her say, where did I go? You just think that she's, like, powering down. Um, it's just really beautiful. I, I'm sad to see yeah. the Buffy bot go. I really, 
Uh, rest in Buffy peace, Bot. Buffy Bot. Uh, you 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 saved the world a little. You know, can we get her yeah. a little? And Dawn runs and she doesn't know where the fuck she's running, but she runs and back in the alley. Tara, again, why were you concerned? There's so many. Um, Buffy has a bloody lip and Xander is like, you know, she's Buffy. She's back again. She's fighting. And Buffy is like, no, I'm not okay at all. And she she runs as well. So now Dawn and Buffy both running where possibly will they run to? I know where they might be headed. I know where they might go. That rickety-ass tower. Yeah, I learned a couple of things. I learned that some of the scenes shot on the tower, um, whether uh, probably most of them in the gift, um, but maybe some here was a scaffolding built around an oil rig. Oh. Which is pretty cool. And then the um, entirety of the scene we see on the tower between Dawn and Buffy is a, um, it's built on the stage with hydraulics. So it's actually moving and the, background of the city is like a, a I don't remember what they call it but it's like a massive photograph that has lights coming from behind it so it oh, looks cool. like yeah uh so I thought that was very fun but anyway yes the rickety tower they're they're headed there uh while Willow ob- obfuscates obs obfus obfuscates 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 ob few Skates. Ab few skates. A demon. Nice. <laughs> uh, she freezes razors, razors, and then they go. Yeah, they that's shatter. cool. That's pretty cool. Good tricks. Willow's got and some good th- tricks then, in her bag. You know, his retribution for losing his little razors is uh, choking Willow. But <gasps> never choke a witch's girlfriend when there's an axe nearby that the old as the old adage goes yes yes of course um sorry to bring marty noxon into this one more time but uh one of my my favorite moment of the little bit of the director's cut that i saw is marty noxon is like yeah this is like where we made tara butch and then she goes no no i mean that's the wrong way to say it we just blah 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 and i'm like no marty that is the correct marty (laughs) you actually nailed it on first pass tara is like straight up she's like killed and i guess she had spoken to one of the davids about how very similar to cordelia she really doesn't get to kill a lot of demons you know and so she gets her moment here she fucking axes the hellion into oblivion and she says nobody messes with my girl that's right that's right um meanwhile buffy is up on the tower and as an avid fan of the show buffy the vampire slayer she is reliving the finale of series five mouthing along her lines (laughs) uh doing a whole bit something that is hilarious about this scene to me is that if you watch it on hulu with the you know modern aspect ratio every time buffy looks down you see Dawn in red all the way at the left of the screen walking in the same line. I think you see it three times, but two of the, at least two of those times are when Dawn is up on top of the tower with Buffy. They just got one overhead shot and reused it multiple oh, times. Oh, I watched the DVD, so I didn't get to see that, but I will gladly go back and find Tiny Dawn walking down Check there. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, so this is pretty intense. Um... <sighs> 
there is an obvious uh, inversion of what we saw on the gift, where at the end of the gift, of course, Buffy says, uh, live for me. And here we are seeing Dawn saying to Buffy, live for me. Very intense situation. Very, um, I think, a very good job done here by Michelle Trachtenberg in this scene and Sort of like conveying the fact that she's very small and she misses her sister and she needs her to stay. Oh. And you can see, I think what I like about Michelle Trachtenberg's performance or, you know, the lines written for Dawn or the combination they're in is that it seems that Dawn is very self-aware of the fact that she's asking for something for herself. She is under no impression that she's asking uh, for Buffy to stay to be with her for Buffy's sake. She's very much aware that, like... She needs her and she's just pleading with her. Please don't go again. I can't believe that you're back. I don't know how it happened, but you're here. Please stay with me. And Buffy, I mean, we don't really know what's going on with Buffy, but the very first words that she speaks are, is this hell? <sighs> Buffy is like literally all of us to real life I know I was gonna say literally hashtag fucking 2020 is this so this seems to be hell am I correct or incorrect and and yeah all the telltale helltale signs are here (laughs) Don's like I cannot confirm nor deny but it is home and we're like okay (laughs) (laughs) sounds right (laughs) could be hell but it's also home um and You know, ultimately, the thing that gets Buffy to turn again in a replay of the end of the gift is that the tower is about to fall and she wants to save Dawn. I would like to just gently uh, remind us of the IMDb description. Buffy climbs out of her own grave to save her friends. Okay, (laughs) cool. Um. Yeah, and I, you know, obviously, or I would, I would assume, obviously, at this point, we're gonna learn more. And sometimes it's hard for us to, um, I think, have these conversations without spoilers. This is like one of those moments where, you know, I, I have more that I want to say, but um, I need to get more information before I can say it. Uh, and I, w- I believe we will learn more. And I, um, I think at this point, it's, it is very hard to know what is happening here. Um, apart from that, we have a very confused and very traumatized Buffy. And that the tower, good job on that tower standing for three fucking months. Great work. Great work. Five months, actually. Five months. Oh, my. Yeah. So once this tower really starts to come apart and debris starts to fall, Buffy snaps into protecto mode. She snaps back into yeah. some semblance of buffiness. Yeah. Uh, they ride a winch halfway down. It was just one winch. <laughs> then they fall the rest of the way. Then the entire tower collapses. You are such a wonderful asshole. Thank you. <laughs> it was just one winch. She wrote in her notes, getting more and more excited to reach the moment when she would deliver the joke on tonight. On two thousand years. Why are you gonna roast me for caring about the quality of my performance here? <laughs> the hell? I'll tell you what, why don't we go from just one winch over into the sexual fucking tension awards? Well, 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 
It's time for the Sexual Tension Awards, and we have some very exciting nominees for you. I can guarantee that every single slot in the noms has oh. a name that starts with T and is four letters long. Slot in uh, the noms in... is very <laughs> upsetting. In the first slot in the noms. <laughs> wow. <laughs> in the first slot in the noms. Come on! He seems like such a cool guy. And uh, he always wears really nice coveralls while he's doing construction. It's like, I it's... wrote these and I don't even know who the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> it's Tito uh, and Xander, of course. Xander wants to get to know Tito a little bit better. Tito and the Zand. Two contractors measure twice and cut once 1080p HD. In the second slot for noms, we've got oh god Tara and Anya as they hide behind a rock together, crouched yeah. intimately. Uh, in the third slot for noms, we've got Tara and Anya as Tara strokes Anya's hair <laughs> so familiarly. And in the fourth slot for noms, we've got Tara and Willow as Tara... Butchley axes a demon in the back. And you know, when we say Butchley, we mean it in the uh Brittany Ashley, Laura Zach, mm-hmm. Butch Off uh, it's an energy. sensibility. It's an energy. Yeah, it's an energy. It's not uh, limited to presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh and look at her go. So if you'd like to be a part of uh slotting in these noms, I I like tried so hard to like be the the like to parent this situation by ignoring it the last three times and it didn't work. <laughs> uh, go ahead and and slot in your nom at our on our Twitter poll at Buffering Cast. <laughs> Sexual Tension Award poll will be up for one week. Thanks a lot! Yay, democracy! Okay, guess what? It's season six, and it's harder and harder and harder to figure out how to nominate people for sexual attention awards, but we will always bring you slots and noms. Okay. So So down... So the pulley, the pulley is like squeak, and then the fucking <laughs> screw is like squirk, and then they drop, and then they got close enough <laughs> to the ground for like it to be okay that they drop the rest of the way and they fall on like some drywall or whatever. And then the tower comes crashing and Buffy rolls them away. It's very Indiana Jones for the last like moment here. And yep. Um, yep. then they hug. And I think in the, the moment that like got me the most was this last one which i guess is probably the way you want it to work on television um but dawn <laughs> hugs buffy and she's just saying you're home and her squeaky little dawn voice you know you're home and buffy uh over dawn's shoulder is sort of like she does not know she she looks like doesn't look like anything to me that's how she is receiving this information <laughs> exactly exactly um, so this is how on October 2nd, 2001, is that right? Was it the 2nd of October? Yes. 
Oh, yes. Um, that is how you ended your evening. Uh, we're taping this on October 7th, so it's not even that far away. You, you, oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's rare for us to line up. We have holidays in all the wrong places here at Buffering the Vampire Slayer. But hey, uh, we've hit October bingo, October Yahtzee here in Buffering land. <laughs> so that's another episode. Hey, we've done two, Jenny. Only hey! 20 more to go. Hey, and then 22 after that. Hey, oh, and, and then we'll be- start at the beginning again. Yay. <laughs> well, uh, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. And, you know, in addition to making this podcast, I make a podcast called Veronica Mars Investigations. And I also write and uh, release songs. You can... Learn more about me and those songs at JennyOwenYoungs.com. I will tell you that I just put out an extended version of my EP Night Shift featuring some new remixes and a Teenage Dream cover. Uh, Also just released a new music video for my song Vampire Weeknight, which is a very, very cool animated video that I am so excited about. You can find that uh, in the places where people post videos. And hey, uh, if you want to talk to me about slots and noms, you can always tweet... At Jenny Owen Youngs. Thanks. You know, I hope that you get all the tweets about slots and fucking noms and then you regret your decision. Okay, question for you, Kristen. Uh, Nick Lachey, slot or nom? Nom. Nick Carter, slot or nom? Slot. Correct. (laughs) Such a correct (laughs) set of answers. Russo, and you can learn all about what I do, which is battle Jenny Owen Youngs for control over the language used in this podcast <laughs> on my website, kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. You can use that spelling to find me on Twitter and on Instagram. Please don't talk to me about these words in those places if you care about me at all. Also, Jenny, I asked you to submit a biography for our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com, very recently, and you didn't. And so I made up my own bio, and you should just go <laughs> fucking look at it yourself right now, because that's what, what you the get hell? for not doing your own work. I really did start writing it last night. It's just not done yet. Um, but let me see what you've slotted in. <laughs> Let me see what you've nommed as my bio. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> ah, Jenny Owen Youngs is a professional musician and recreational Whedonverse aficionado. She did not submit her bio as that, so Kristen is writing the rest of this for now. She likes to write songs while washing the dishes and has a dog named Frank, and once she left Kristen in the woods with an angry bear. It's <laughs> all true. <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> Oh, anyway, Jenny, uh, apart from buffering the vampire slayer.com, um, where they can find your glorious bio written by me, where else can they find us? Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast, or drop us an email at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 216 30 BUFFY. 
Hell yeah. You can support the work that we do here in a few places. You can support uh, Buffering the Vampire Slayer on Patreon at patreon.com slash bufferingcast. You can find that, of course, on our website, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. You can also now learn about Latoya Ferguson hosting Angel on Top on that same site, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. And if you go to angelontop.com, it'll take you to the Angel on Top Patreon page where you can support Latoya directly. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed enjoyed last week's uh, premiere episode of Angel on Top. We know we had a fucking delight making it um, and are so oh, stoked. Oh, hell yeah. So fucking stoked that LaToya is here. We're going to learn so much this season about Angel and the WWWB. Ha! <laughs> uh, you can also... Hey, we have new merch. We have t-shirts what? that say Burn It Down, designed by A. Andrews. We have a Sleepaway Witch Camp pullover sweatshirt for when you need to get cozy with the girl that's dating um that guy that anya and tara you get it it's fine just go get the sweatshirt you can find all of our merch (laughs) buffering the just click on shop we have a u.s-based store uh, and a european store as well so yeah go to those places check out those things and hey if you want you can always rate and review us uh on itunes or elsewhere we love it we love to hear from you or elsewhere in your journal whatever <laughs> yeah yeah in your diary uh you know text your friends <laughs> yeah uh and uh you know till next time uh, uh, slots and knobs Every night, my sacred callings to bring the fight to vampires and demons. So says my programming. The curtain fell, I was done. But there's no choice for the chosen one. Seems I'll forever be scouring cemeteries and all my living friends.
Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons and Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a lighthearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Get inspired while learning all about the unique planes of existence. Get the in-depth knowledge you need to help your combat encounters feel impactful or learn about the origins and pantheons of every race and class the game offers. No stone is left unturned as every edition of the game is explored and explained in a way that benefits players of all different levels of experience. You can expand your TTRPG horizons in a way that's as entertaining as it is educational just by listening. All you have to do is go to your favorite podcast app or YouTube and search for The Dungeon Cast.